שלום רביבדי, חודש טוב, ראש חודש טבת, חנוכה שמח. We are continuing with where we left off in Likut HaLachot, section Orach Chaim, uh, the laws of giving uh, blessings, of giving thanksgiving, Birkat Hoda'a, discourse number 6, uh, we're in paragraph 21. At this point, Rav Nosson is going like to recap what was in the temple, and when you realize how it was so important, then to this, understand the severity of what damage the, the Yevanim, the Greeks, wanted to do. In this sense, the Yevanim, the, the Greeks, are representing the exchange chambers, the evil. The name for Yavan is like related to Yeven Metsula, like quicksand, being swallowed up, the tightness of a Metsula, where like when a person is being sucked up by like a quicksand uh, situation, scenario, that's what the, the Greeks were for the Jewish people at the time. And what they represent even today, the idea of the Greek philosophy, the Greek ideology, the Greek hashkafa is basically f- making a person feel totally detached from Hashem, totally like useless and no meaning in their service of Hashem and in their life. God forbid. Meaning there's no simcha. There's no pursuit of simcha in their life. That's what Greek represented. Now you would ask, how could people, people be so stupid? If now they detach themselves from true simcha, so then why would they hurt themselves? Why would people then look elsewhere for trying to solve their, to try to fill in the gap of, of, of joy in their life? That's the whole thing. People are so convinced that Judaism and Hashem, Chas Shalom, is not the answer is not the solution, and purposely they try to find joy, and they're convinced that they will find happiness within this life, only to face a dead end. And the more the Yitzhak can get them stuck in believing this and pursuit, so he lets them, like a lead, he lets them follow on and make them believe that they're getting to true joy, to true contentment, to true satisfaction, and it's all in a dead end. And even if they release it, release it, or they realize it, still they continue the pursuit, thinking that they'll have some happiness. When they don't think, but it's just like they have no other choice anymore, they just run after it, and they end up with a dead end. That's crazy. But that's how messed up and people can be when trapped in the exchange chambers and the influence. That's how severe the influence of the exchange chambers is. And that's the whole representation of Yavan, the Greeks. And the miracle of Hanukkah is releasing a person from that grip, even today. Even today, and especially today, when we're going through a Klipat Yavan scenario, where they're trying to make us literally feel like lost and detached, right? More than ever do we need the miracle, the light of Hanukkah to shine in. So if Nosin wants us just to realize what was in the temple, he's going to go through the details of the Holy Temple. In a way, it's a summary of what he spoke about earlier. He's packaging everything here in one paragraph to show you what was in the temple and what the evil of the Greeks wanted to take away. So he says like this, first of all, and he wants to show how all the concepts that Rabbi Nachman goes into in Lesson 24 were in the Temple. He's going to go step by step, piece by piece. Valken Hayasham Eser Kedushot. First item, Rav Nosen says, Therefore, there was in the Holy Temple the ten levels of holiness. Right? We went into this earlier, if you remember, in paragraph uh, 16. 
Rav went into this, quoting that Mishnah, the list enumerates the ten levels of holiness in Masechet Kelim, right? Mish- chapter 1, Mishnah number 9, where it goes to the ten levels of holiness that were found in the Temple, okay? And he says, Rav Nosin, thus we can understand why there were ten levels of holiness. He said this earlier, but we'll go over it again. The Holy of Holies was the tenth level of holiness. That's the climax. Fine. That's beyond our grasp, in a sense. The maximum we can reach is what's called the Heichal. The antechamber before the Holy of Holies. The Heichal, right? The courtyard, the holy courtyard, if you want to call it like that. The holy chamber. But it's not the Holy of Holies. It's right before that. And that was number nine. Okay? So he's saying number nine, the holiness, the ninth holiness was the Heichal. Kisham, why was it the ninth one? Why specifically the number nine? Kisham me'erin hatisha hechalim. Because it was in the culmination of reaching the Hechal, which culminated all the preceding eight levels of holiness beforehand, until you reach the ninth holiness of the Hechal. That in that ninth Hechal, the ninth holiness, the ninth level, the ninth holiness of the, of the, of the temple, shines all the, what's called the nine chambers. In, in lesson 24, Binachman, like we said this earlier, discusses this concept of the nine chambers. The nine chambers are made up of a person's few levels of his brain, of his mind, called Chochmah Bina Da'at, the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, which are the three faculties that a person uses in life for perception in his brain. Any, any level of a person's life involves initial pieces of wisdom, of knowledge, sorry, understanding, deduction from that, and then the wisdom is the conclusion, what you gain out of it. And a person uses that throughout his life. And especially in the pursuit of trying to understand Hashem, you definitely do need Chachmah Binadat. But in trying to perceive Hashem's light, called the infinite light, so the these three, the Chachmah Binadat, are in pursuit. They start running, running, running. But because it's unperceivable, it's unfathomable in a physical existence to perceive the infinite light, and only to perceive it is if a person is bounced backwards and going back into a type of darkness that allows for the creation of chambers which are vessels. So he says the person's mind and intellect which is running forward bounces in this wall called the Prisa. We'll go into it very soon. And by bouncing back, the Chochmah Bin Adat become intertwined. So it's like the Chochmah of Chochmah Bin Adat, Bina of Chochmah Bin Adat, Dat of Chochmah Bin Adat, and you understand Bina of Chochmah Bin Adat, Bina of of Bina Chochmadad, it goes into that, it goes, it, you have nine combinations in multiplication, three times three, creating what's called the nine chambers, that's the wording the Rinachman uses from the Zohar, nine Hechalot, and these Hechalot, Rav Nosen is saying here, is similar to the Hechal that was in the Temple, which is the ninth level of holiness, and it's not by chance, it's called the ninth chamber, and it's the Hechal, to show you that it's relating to the nine chambers, Mentioned lesson 24, Likutei Moram, which are Hechalot also, and their purpose is to be vessels to receive within them that which is beyond them, the level of 10, which is beyond the nine, these nine, that's called the Holy of Holies, the light of the infinite light. Okay? So he says again, in this ninth holiness of the chamber, of the, the ninth chamber of the, of the Holy, the antechamber leading to the Holy of Holies, there would shine all the nine chambers of the intellect. That's what that, the maximum that they reached. 
והפרוכת המפסיק הוא מבדיל בין הקודש ובין הקודש הקודשים and then the parochet the drape, the holy drape that separated and divided between holy which is the heichal, the antechamber is called the holy vis-a-vis the, the holy of holies which is called the holy of holies so there was a separation called the, the, the holy drape there, the, the curtain which is called the parochet okay this parochet this is the concept of this prisa that we mentioned the wall that the, the, the person's intellect bounces into and then goes bounces back it's called a prisa and Rav Nosen says this parallels in the holy temple the, the drape that was separating between the holy of holies and the holy and the, and the hechal the antechamber and that, and that this is the indication for that Beyond this, you can't go, which was the case. No one can enter the Holy Holies. Only the Kohen Gadol on one day a year on Yom Kippur, in a special scenario. Okay, watch this. Therefore, it's forbidden to enter from that point onwards. No one's allowed, like we said, except for one condition, Kohen Gadol, on Yom Kippur, with the Ketorot, etc. Only then he's allowed to enter, but regularly no one's, even the greatest Kohanim can't go into that room all year round. Okay, it's forbidden entry. Like we said, only the High Priest on the day of Yom Kippur. And what is Yom Kippur in our context? It's that Yom Kippur is the 10th day of the 10 days of repentance. 10 being the, the number beyond 9, the 9 chambers. That this is now the light of the infinite light which is beyond the person's reach. Right? And these all together correspond to the 10 levels of holiness that we mentioned earlier, like we said in paragraph 16. And Rav Nosen says in brackets, also he's going to talk about this again. He's going to go back into this in more detail coming up. And now that's one point that was in the, whole, in the, in the temple. The idea of perceiving, perceiving the infinite light. Perceiving light in your life. Shining greater light of Hashem's awareness in your life, which is the goal of life. That's what was in the temple, period. That everybody needs. Anyone who wants to be a Jew, anybody who wants to connect to Hashem needs this. You can't expect someone to have a dead and dry and boring Judaism. A Jew constantly must strive or tries to strive to bring into his life and his devotion, his activity, what's called hitchatshut, renewal. The renewal is shining a new light from where? From this infinite light. This is the process. The nine and the one. The nine bouncing into the wall, creating the nine, and thus being a vessel to receive the number ten, like we went into many, many times already. That was one point. Now, second point, what was in the temple? Vesham bebet hamikdash, kol avodat korbanot shem naasim besimcha And also there, in the Holy Temple, were all the services of the sacrifices. And like we said earlier also, Rav Nosen quoting the Zohar, that the sacrifices had to be done with joy. The whole service of the Temple was a joyous, festival, happy service. The Kohanim, a Kohan who was sad, could not do any devotion. He couldn't do any korbanot that day. He was forbidden. The Kohan, the Zohar says, had to be, do everything besimcha. And that was the characteristic of the Kohanim that they were happy and they were quick in doing what they were doing that was the normal attitude of the Kohanim 
while the temple was standing. So here, Rabbi Nosson saying, is another point that the korbanot, which are done with joy, took place in the temple. So the temple was a place where there was extreme simcha. And we mentioned this earlier, if you recall. That's point number two that was in the temple. Number three, And in addition, the oil of the menorah, the holy candelabra, and the incense, which was offered every day also, that both of these items, the oil of the menorah and the incense, they bring joy to the heart. They, that their job is to bring joy. The light of the menorah, like we, we, we see, that light, the shining of the light of the menorah, was mamash, the idea of light brings joy, and, it's, and particularly this holy light of the menorah for sure brought joy. And the ketort, like we said many times, quoting Likutim on Lesson 24, we went into this in detail, that the, the idea of the ketort is to extract holiness trapped in the evil and elevating them. And Rabbi Nachman says that Simcha does the exact same thing, which is why saying the Ktoret is propitious, it's misugal for bringing Simcha, just like the Ktoret in its time also brought Simcha. What does he learn this out? He says it's a verse. There's a verse that says that this is the power of the oil of the menorah and the power of the Ktoret, the incense in the temple. Like he says here, they both bring joy to the heart, like the verse reads in Mishlei chapter 27, verse 9. Shemen uktoret both oil, there's many interpretations, but the main one is the oil of the menorah and the incense offered in the, in the temple. They bring joy to the heart. So we see here that there was such joy emanating from the temple due to the korbanot and the menorah, the light of the menorah and the ketoret, plus the rectifications of the intellect to perceive higher levels of God, the infinite light. That's also taking place in the temple. These two points, Rav Nassim just brought two ideas about the Simcha and one about the ten levels of holiness there, like we mentioned. And now he says, going back to Hanukkah, Vehem hitgarubaze, and they, the Greeks, they attacked this. They did not want this to take place. They didn't want a person to perceive the infinite light and have joy in life, true joy because of that, because of the infinite light. They didn't want that. They attacked it. And they, the Greeks, wanted to stop all of this, God forbid. Which, when you think about it, what, what do I have in life left if there's no simcha and there's no perceiving Hashem in my life? What do I have in my life? Think about it. After all the Torah study and mitzvah and everything, if I don't advance in perceiving Hashem more and more, shining light of infinite light into my life, and thus bringing me simcha also, and also, it's like A leads to B, and B leads to A. There's a simcha that's a prerequisite for this infinite light perception. And then there's a, there's a level of simcha which is a result of the infinite perception. A leads to B, and also B leads to A. Okay? They didn't want this. The Greeks wanted to stop all of this. You know, what is this? More than that, Vigam Ratsulevatel Kola Mitzvot. Not just that they want to stop the production, the productivity of the Holy Temple, which is to produce joy and allow for the perception of the infinite light to shine in people's lives daily. They also, on a general level, like we know in the story of Hanukkah, you can take a look in the Mishnah Burah, it brings the summary of what took place back then and the awesome miracle that took place. But what was the damage and the fear and the danger? is that the Greeks also wanted to stop mitzvah performance. And what is the mitzvah performance for a Jew? 
That's all of our simcha. Like he said, Rabbi Nachman, lesson 24, the most important thing is the simcha and doing a mitzvah. And we see the verse in the Torah, Parashat Kitavo, that it says there, all the curses will come upon you in Parashat Kitavo. Because you do not serve Hashem with joy and a good heart. The punishment comes because we didn't serve Hashem with joy. This is the underlying theme behind all the mitzvot is simcha, doing the mitzvot with simcha. And going back to Chanukah, the Greeks wanted to take this away. They wanted to stop the mitzvot in order to stop the Jews from receiving a simcha from holiness as a means to pursue God. They wanted the Greeks instead that you get enjoyment by taking a vacation cruise to Spain, to Antarctica, to Alaska, and to have fun and to go to Maui and to enjoy yourself in this world and try to find simcha from this world by getting the new updated computer program or the new smartphone or whatever and you're just running and running trying to uh, satisfy this empty happiness using this world. They don't want you to have simcha from Hashem. No, we want this simcha to come from elsewhere, from this world, which we know is a dead end. But that's the whole thing. They, don't, they, they convince the person that it's not a dead end, that it's worth investing in this world to try to have simcha. And in the end, they fool a person showing that the simcha here was not lasting. It was a waste a big waste of time and a big waste of life. Okay? That was the whole problem of the of the of the danger of the Greeks in the Hanukkah story. Okay? So Navarosin says, now we can understand why thus the whole miracle of Hanukkah was specifically through oil. Why specifically oil? After we explained so much what the idea of shemen is, in our context now, what we just said until now, let's look at this. Because what was the shemen of the menorah? Where was the menorah placed? The menorah was placed in this hechal, the oil moed, the tent of meeting, which was this final chamber, the antechamber before the Holy of Holies. That's where the menorah was. That's where the lechem apani, the showbread table was. That's where the menorah tazav, the golden altar for the ktorit offering, burnt, burning of the ktorit every day. That's where they were. The menorah was there. Okay, the menorah is being the big thing. That's the whole thing is the shining of the light. Right? El mul. Pinea menorah, everything is facing the menorah and, and describing the positioning. They say facing the menorah to show its precedence and its importance in the Heichal. In the Olmoed of the three, what was very important here was the menorah, shining that light, because that's the goal, to shine the light. What was that light shining in the Heichal? Rav Nosson is going to know. What's the idea of the menorah shining its light there? What light? So Rav Nosson says like this again. It would be, you have to understand the following. For from the oil lighting the menorah, they would light candles in this antechamber, the hechal, in the oil, which is also called the tent of meeting. Outside, right, on the other side of the parochet, the, 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 the holy drape, separating between the holy of the holies and the holy of the, the chamber, the, the tent of meeting. So the candle is positioned facing this parochet. And what is this parochet we said earlier? Is the idea of the prisa, that wall, the keter, which serves as a boundary separating the infinite light from us. And the intellect of a person, the Chochmah bin Adad, bounce into this prisad, this parochet, this curtain, this bounce, this keter, in order to produce the nine 
intellects, the nine chambers, nine vessels, to perceive within them the infinite light. Okay? So that's where the, can- the menorah was, was being lit, was burning its candles there. Kid, why? Look at this. Kedei lehamshich ha'or shehu or hasagat ha'mochin mebechinat lifnai velifnim. The light, the lighting of the candles of the menorah were for what? To shine the light of perceiving, of the perception of the intellect, to what it perceives from the infinite light, from what's within, lifnai velifnim, within of within is referring to the holy volumes, Kodesh Kodeshim, it's also called lifnai velifnim. The light of the menorah is basically shining that light outside to us. Because again, it was placed in the ninth chamber, it's on this, our side of the prisa, of the wall, of the parochet, shining a light. What is this light? It's shining us there, the light of the infinite light, which is coming from the other side of the parochet, we're perceiving it through the light of the menorah. So he's saying here of Nosen, the light of the menorah was shining the infinite light. That's what, it, that's what it was doing. Okay? And when you think about it, you're lighting your Hanukkah candles to commemorate the miracle of the, the oil lighting of the menorah, is basically a repetition, a redoing, a relighting, and re-experiencing the infinite light in our lives through the miracle, the light of Hanukkah. That's basically what's happening here. Okay, and going back, that we're able to shine the light of the menorah on this side of the ninth chambers, on that side of the ninth chamber, and it's light of the infinite light. How is that happening? Through the bouncing, the hitting in the prisa, this wall, which bounces a person back, his intellect backwards, like we mentioned many, many times. This is what was taking place in the temple. This is what the, the Greeks wanted to stop. And we're going to more details of the miracle of Hanukkah based on this. Bezat Hashem.